Welcome to The Real Rap. I am your host, Matt Bjorky. On this week's podcast, we have newcomer Aaron Parker. Aaron has a new EP, which features the single, I'd Go Back. During the discussion, we talk about his new EP, the new single, and much, much more. We hope you enjoy this edition of The Real Rap and getting to meet Aaron Parker. experience with the fans where you um fan club only ep release yeah um that was kind of an idea that spawned from my love of the fan clubs in the 90s and Mm -hmm. garth brooks and chesney mcgraw you know a lot of the guys that i look up to they kind of had a real engagement process Mm -hmm. with their fans and i wanted to kind of throw it back to a an old school progressive way where digitally we we prolonged the release um and we went straight into the fan club the people who have been with me since i mean before i moved to nashville uh to where i didn't have anything to talk about on facebook Mm -hmm. they've been there i wanted to really go in and give them the ep first mainly because they've been there for so long so and so how did you go about making the ep um, it was just a collection of songs. I really, uh, this first EP, the thought process for me was I want to do something authentic, um, authentic to Aaron Parker, um, and show people who I am at my core. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think about, hey, let's put this on radio immediately. Hey, I gotta have a, an up-tempo song here, or this certain BPM, or... Some catchy well, Alan Jackson say three minute, not too positive of tempo country love song. <laughs> Actually, has a song called that. You know, um, it was really more about just telling my story from the time I moved to Nashville um, to now, and and kind of a look back in my life. So that was the big uh, point of this and the thought process on this EP. All right. So you mentioned before you moved to Nashville. Where are you from? How, what's your story? How'd your story start? I started singing in church. Uh, my mom played piano at the little church that we went to, and my whole entire family goes to that church, both sides, mom and dad's side, go. Um, so it's a small church, mainly comprised of my families, both sides, and a lot of my cousins, and just a couple people who walked in off the street. So it's a family party. It's it's pretty much a family Sunday. I mean, there's very extensive, like extended family, like third cousins, fourth cousins, but they go to that church as well. So. And where was where is this at? Uh, Daphne, Alabama. Okay. Is where I grew up. So that would explain it because it's I've never heard of it. Yeah, about 30 minutes from the goal. 30 minutes. Okay. I, I like to say 30 minutes from the floor of Bama. So and about five minutes from Mobile Bay. So definitely on the eastern shore down there. So you must have went to the ocean a lot. You yeah, you or would think you know, you would think we would have gone more, but once you like kind of grow up there. Yeah, I understand. Right? It's like the grew place. Up on a lake, sure. So. And you're like, Well, I, I love it. Like, no, I like go there. I really don't go there at all. <laughs> and it's literally a quarter of a mile down the road from where my house was sure. to the lake. 
Yeah. It was definitely an escape for us. Uh, it was the place we always went to spring break. That mm. was guaranteed because we just didn't have enough money to go to Destin or Panama City. So we kind of stayed in town. And if you needed anything because you wanted to go fishing in the morning, you could always go home and grab your gear and come yeah. back to the, the house or whatever we were renting. Food. So, yeah. So it <laughs> was cool. parents' kitchen cabinets. Absolutely. Um, so when did you make the move to Nashville? 2010. It was actually, um, I came up here and spoke with a guy who, a buddy of mine, uh, told me I was going to college. I was going to college with him, and he said, you need to go to Nashville, and I kind of put him off. And I was in a cover band at that point um, down south and just doing the college thing. And he said, you need to go to Nashville, and I put him off and put him off. And eventually, he said, hey, dude, I got a guy up here who's been mentoring me. He started going to Belmont. And he said he's going to give you 15 minutes at his house to play him some songs and sing for him. And he'll give you kind of his no skin in the game type of feedback, which I've always appreciated. And uh, the guy, I sat down, 15 minutes turned into two hours, and we became buddies. And he basically said, you know, why the heck aren't you here? So then I kind of had somebody who was outside of my family, outside of my crowd, friends, yeah. sure, who was said that I, I could do this if I wanted to, uh, which meant meant a ton to me. Um, went back to Nashville, my buddy showed up, put my bed in the back of his car, in the back of a U-Haul, and I moved to Murfreesboro and lived there for like three months. So. That happens a lot. You know what I mean? It's a little cheaper than Nashville, and it's it's that same distance as it was to the ocean to Nashville. Sure, but you know what's funny <laughs> is like you don't live in Nashville is what everybody no, says. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I know a guy, a writer who moved to this area for a website, and he he lives in Murfreesboro. Right. And it's like, yeah, but here it's not Nashville. I'm like, yeah, that's the one thing the show Nashville got right. That's right, right? Yeah. Not not that there's anything wrong with Murfreesboro, and it's growing just as fast as Nashville is. Sure. But, you know, it's not Nashville. No, I was glad when I got to move. I've lived probably eight places in my five years of being in this town. So um, I've lived in west, north, east, south. Some of them I just had a bed there, you know, and used a storage unit for all of my stuff, you know. So I've lived <laughs> a lot of I have spots. been here since 2008, and until last year when I bought the condo in March, I had moved every year. Wow. So when I, I moved last year, so I haven't. You're on my schedule, man. And before that, I had it was like a year and a half at the apartment. Wow. So really, you know, and that moved twice in three years, basically. It's a lot of movement. But now, I'm not moving anywhere. So no, amen to that. Me neither. <laughs> they can't get me out of there if they wanted me to. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned like '90s stuff. How how influential? Obviously, you grew up in that time. I, I grew up in that time. Sure. Um, how influential were were those artists? you and wanting to be a country singer everything I mean that's that's what made me want to be a country singer is it wasn't really the you know because we've kind of moved on in time from the production of the 90s I mean I could go into tons of things about production right. in the 90s that are dated now um, the thing about it is and and that goes for every decade prior it's, every genre know, does it yeah you know but um you're starting to see some of the synths and stuff from the 80s come back yeah, in a lot of pop music. And mm -hmm. normally that's I mean, very influential country. to right. us a couple years later. Right. It's not so much in country right now, though. Not yet. Give it a second. Well, I know, but <laughs> I was listening to Keith Urban's records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I realized 
he's the godfather of the drum loop machine in country music. Oh, wow. Because if you go back, he's been writing since the year 2000 on a drum loop machine. Wow. Yeah, the uh, Somebody Like You yeah. song. That whole... Now, and that wasn't really on the record. Sure. But he, I heard him say that when he played a special show at Country Radio Seminar. But then, a couple of years later, it was actually on the record. It was just sure. a track. We were like, oh, yeah. This is way before Sam Hunt or, sure. or whoever, you know, good seven, eight years before everybody else. No, totally. I think that, so. I think what's cool about the way uh, Spotify and some of these Pandora or even XM and some of these kind of rogue country outlets or just music mm-hmm. outlets are really opening the doors for artists to create what's truly in their heart. Mm-hmm. And if a crowd accepts that and, and right. buys into that and loves that music, then there will be a demand for it. And mm-hmm. uh, it's not as much of a, uh, you have to sound like this, you have to sound like right. this. It's, it's more of a, can you really speak what's in your heart and, and can you emote that? And I think mm-hmm. that's important. Adele's new record. I mean, like, oh, hello. It's, <laughs> right? It's just that song may become the best selling single in one week, first week ever. Wow. Digital. Well, I, mean, I was a fan. I was like, man, I heard 15 seconds. I'm gonna give this. Giving, given the fact it sold 400,000 copies in two days. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> given the fact that that song, it just proves people will buy stuff if if the artist connects. Sure. You know, and that's, you know, they're they're the industry is always talking about that. How how can we get people to you know buy 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 instead of stream stream stream. And streaming's great, but I do agree with people like Scott Frechetta and Taylor Swift that after you have the trial period of like a Spotify or Apple, that you should pay for it. Sure. You know, because it's not free to make the music, so no, why, it's definitely not. Why, why should it be free to buy it? You know. I agree with that. Um, so getting back to the '90s, you know, you were mentioning like the sounds and stuff changed. When I first saw Sam Hunt play last May before he broke. He did like a 90s medley with like Don Rio, and he sounded great doing that. And then he busted, this is how we do it, right into it as well. You know, sure. Like, yep, he grew up the same time I did because <laughs> those are all on my playlist. Oh, man, I grew up you listening know. to country music. I mean, I grew up listening to 90s rock, Chili Peppers, Green Day, mm-hmm. um, even even the Tube Socks of Blink-182. I mean, I was a fan of, you know, and also Dr. Dre. I mean, oh, yeah. I still haven't left, like, the love of that. Yeah, man, the swing <laughs> that he puts in that yeah. music. He's a great producer. Phenomenal. One of my favorites ever. But, you know, it's... Um, as far as rappers, I'm not so sure. But producing, yeah. <laughs> Songwriting, yeah. He's straight he's to the point. It. I do know he's that about it. Dre. His yeah. lyric is, like, straight to the point. He's yeah, not metaphorical no, in any way. <laughs> no, he, lets, he lets Eminem and Snoop do that. You know? <laughs> sure. Um, so what on your EP I hear that there's one particular song that stands out for you well they're all about me so I I don't is there one what which one did you hear which one no, are you talking I just, about I don't know I just heard that there was one that stood out more to you that you had a great story of how you wrote it is it homesick homesick um, yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, Homesick is, is funny because I wrote that real early on in moving to Nashville. Um, and who did you write it with? I wrote it with uh, Terry Joe Box. And 
it was funny because that day I didn't really have any idea of what I was going to write, but she's always been one of those writers, and, and it's I think it's a struggle for an artist to kind of find this, and once they do, in a, in a writer, in a co-writer, somebody who will really let you be yourself and uh, really let you say what truly that it is that's in your heart. And a lot of the, the, the greatest co-writers help that and turn mm-hmm. it into a hit. You know, they help you really speak your heart, but then and they know. It, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so that day, it was just really about how I felt. I was homesick for home. I played a lot of football, 12 years of it, you know, growing up. It's kind of like the, the normal thing of growing up in a southern town, but it just all came out the way it did. So I was really proud of that one. And you have a single out. Yeah. What, what can you tell me about the single? Um, the song's called I Go Right Now. I wrote it with Carrie Barlow, um, good friend of mine. Um, amazing, amazing songwriter. He's always been one of the guys that I, I have been able to open up to as well. Um, and he's always been able to take some of the stuff that I say and form it in a way that I heard it in my head but couldn't explain couldn't it. verbalize you it, know? yeah. Um, but yeah, I go right now. It's really about a car that I had when I was growing up, and I had a girlfriend at that time. And it's about the story of the beginning of that relationship, all the way to the end of that relationship, and how I watched her move away, and kind of you know the plan of going to college and um, the parting of our lives. So. Yeah, I'd go right now. It's about, you know, if I could go back, I'd go right now. And you're filming the video for that? Yeah, that's almost done. That's dropping soon. So we're, we're just in the final stages of tweaking. I'm that's really excited be interesting. about it. If that's your first time doing it, it's got to be a different kind of thing. you know. It's totally stuff. different, man. You don't know because you're like, man, I, I wonder like how I look when my face does this. And then they film you and you're like, oh, that's a bad look. We probably should refilm that, <laughs> you know. So yeah. you're kind of getting the the feel of a camera. Me, you know, I was mm-hmm. definitely a rookie in making music videos. I've never done that before. So and who is who is the production directing team? Uh, Josh Carter. Um, oh. Yeah, he's done a lot of different stuff around town, and um, used to work for Silva and a couple different guys. Mm-hmm. And he's a super talented young guy. I mean, had all the best equipment out. I was I, I'm kind of a, like a, a camera geek. At heart, mm-hmm. so it was uh, it was pretty oh, cool. I know my too. I studied film. You know, so he had some great stuff. This, you know, writing and sure. Film, so, yeah. Um, you've been able to tour. What have you learned, like opening up for other artists, like when you see them perform? I've learned that every crowd is different. Every night, every location. Um, for example, just because you're in Savannah, Georgia tonight. The crowd in Albany is not going to be the same mm-hmm. crowd just because you're in a southern or even in the same state. Um, the other thing is, I've learned the value of spontaneity. Um, I'm always been a a big um, supporter of personal development and kind of pushing past what you fear mm-hmm. um, as a performer there are like limits that you put on yourself as far as what you would do. Yeah. Would I jump in the crowd? Would I take away my guitar and right. show them my body, right? 
and as I look, I look up to a lot of entertainers like Garth, Tim, and, and Kenny, and guys who have been truly kind of, you know, Garth uses the guitar as a utensil, but he's mainly an entertainer in that way. Right. Kenny really doesn't play very much live, and Tim doesn't play at all live. Um, so buying from them and, and seeing, kind of taking some of those things from them, it really challenges you. And being on the road with guys like Chase Rice and, and guys, you know, who are into more of the now. Um, finding where it is that you fear and where, where I fear on that stage and just going that night and doing those things and allowing the fear to kind of go away. Or just be like Garth Brooks and you're just a completely different person. Yeah. Like, like he's this mild-mannered, cool, collective guy off stage. Sure. On stage, he's this wild ball of energy that doesn't want to stop. <laughs> so, you know, he, he could probably, I mean, who else would perform two shows a night on his tour, like three night, three and three nights in a row? Sure, he's I mean, definitely that's one of those stuff guys comedians that do. That's not stuff musicians do. No, especially <laughs> especially a guy who's that big, you know. And your vocal cords, right? And how long they can I mean, last? Talk about the stamina he's putting. He has to put in for that. He's got the the biggest heart, I think, of of any entertainer that I've seen, as far as for his fans, a, and for the love of the music. Um, he loves music, he loves great songs, and that's why I've always looked up to him is because I, I strive to be like that as far as being a song guy because I don't care if I write it or right. who writes it, and he's that way. He's always found the best songs that speak mm -hmm. to the people, and if some rogue writer who's brand new in town oh, writes yeah. it, it he, he it's what he's going to cut. So um, as far as entertainment factor goes, he's, he's at the pinnacle, him, Chesney, um, some of these cats, they just have the songs and the show, and it's it's all together. It's not just the show. Yeah, because you're not going to get anywhere without the songs. No. Um, you know, you, you guys like Garth, I was talking with Kenny Smith about this. When you look <coughs> at their records, usually the most important song on the record is the last track of the record. Yeah, Tacoma, right? There's Tacoma and the last one, the dance, the river. You can go back, they're all, sure. every record, the last track. Not only was it the last track, it's typically a single. Right. Which is why it was weird Tacoma wasn't. It was originally supposed to be the first single wow. of, his, of his current record. And I got scared. Sure. About a ballad. So I should have went with it because it's the best song on the record. It's, you know, those ballads, I think that, you know, Nashville sometimes gets scared about a ballad. And I understand. Yeah, because like how well they sell and connect. That's well, when you have a great one, yeah, look at it, it'll make your career. Look at I mean, Cam right now just go like every rose has its thorn. I right. mean, you can go back and if you have an epic ballad, um, you have to, to Garth it. the dance. Sure. Yeah, he had a couple of hits before that, but that song was the one that tipped it over the edge. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and then he followed it up with I watched Grown Men Cry yes. like at that show, watching and listening to that song at the end of the show. I mean it's a special Well yeah, and it's his so you need to know that it was off his first record. It was the second or third single off that record, and he finishes his show with it every night. And so that song is now 25 years old, 26 years old, and he's still finishing his shows with it. Most acts would finish their show with their most recent hit. Sure. Not Garth Brooks. That just shows you the kind of song that is, the way it records, you know. It's a mentality of timelessness. Yeah. And that's a completely different mentality than timely. Right, and obviously when you're writing and recording, you're not writing with that in mind. You're just writing to make the best song you can make. Sure. 
And if you hope that they connect like that, sure. Then, you know, it's not, you're not writing the song thinking we gotta write a dance. I, I'm, there are, if you're a songwriter looking to get songs cut, maybe you're thinking a little that way. Sure. But if you're an artist, you probably can never think that way. I believe the best songs are always one that break right. one or two rules. Um, as far as like formula rules or mm -hmm. how Nashville wants to write at that point in time because the writing process has evolved and eventually everybody we get in kind of a rhythm of what the song is supposed to look like in a formula way yeah. and how it's supposed to rhyme and where it's four supposed lines to chorus in the ver you know the verse verse chorus verse, sure struck, yeah you don't have to do that anymore but you, you know if you can break a couple of those rules and, and not not go crazy but just right. just do some rogue things a couple different things um, you can potentially, you know, write one that and really stands out. Right, and there's out. a way to do that. Either it's a lyrical change here or there, or it's melodically that doesn't may not fit, like Lokash's song that's coming out on Friday called Shipwreck. Okay. It's this epic power ballad, and they're just playing in a piano. It kind of has a dance feel to it. Wow. I mean, I put up just acoustic video and it did a thousand page views on my website. Which, wow. You know, that's rare for something like that. Sure. Well, and I get, we get the produced version, and you know they wrote it with Lindsey Rhimes, who produced the record. Beginning starts like that with the piano, and you can hear the some drum loops or whatever. But as soon as the, the second verse kicks in, it goes. It, it's got like an Avicii style backbeat to it, which very cool. It's definitely a risk. You sure. Know, with that song, they could have just done a straight up piano ballad with it, and it would have been, in my mind, a hit. You know, but they took production risk with it. Sure. Like you're talking about. I think you gotta take those risks, man. Mm -hmm. You just gotta push it. And I appreciate all these young guys that are coming out and doing their own version of whatever they think country music is. I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I've I've heard you know different reviews. Some people love it, some people hate it. And, but I think that whatever you're doing, if you <laughs> that's all you want, though. Yeah, man. If if you believe in it and you go out there every night and that's what you believe, then go out there and do that. You know, yeah. this is you. You have truly one life, so. Go out right. and do what it is that you want to do and forget what anybody else wants to right. say. Your yeah, fans you, are still going to show up if they're absolutely. real fans. I mean, you, you just put out the music that's true to you. Let it, let it be true to rest. That's it. And what, but what's funny is you, know, you get some people talking about that. and they're like, You want them to be, feel something, whether they love or hate it. That's what you want. Sure. If, if they're like, eh. That does nothing. That's the worst review, right? <laughs> right. And sometimes, and sometimes, we won't say which ones of them, sometimes some songs are, eh, and they do well on the charts. Sure. But they don't sell. Sure. And they, they work on, all the, basically all they are is to keep people listening to the radio between commercials. Sure. To keep them on the commercials. You know, and, and it's unfortunate because then it's like, a couple, if an artist has a couple, eh, songs, then you can see their trajectory start going. You know, but you, then you see guys like Jason Isbell who aren't even in our format, who are selling out the Ryman five nights in a row, five nights in a yeah. row, who don't have any songs that uh, don't take chances. I mean, everything, every right. one of his songs is saying something, even if it's like sounds melodically like a hit, like it could be a, sure. a popular hit. Right. That's what I appreciate about him is that he's taking a folk approach. But even Dylan, man, Dylan had a way of writing a pop melody. But it had a folk right. lyric, and you hear that in a lot of his songs, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they're some of the top writers in town kind of have that way to do that. They definitely well. do. You know, like Tom 
Douglas is one I think of. Oh man, he's amazing. He's one of my favorites. Oh yeah, he's, he is my favorite. He's timeless. And I've written stuff before, and I've had people like Heather Morgan say, "Wow, that kind of." I just showed her a lyric I'd written a couple of days before when we talked about a year ago, and she's like, "Wow, that, she had no idea about my favorite songwriter being Tom Douglas." So I, she goes, "Wow, I, the way you phrase that's kind of like what Tom Douglas does." And I'm like, "Okay, thank you. That's all I needed to hear." You know. Well, you know, when you when you kind of study those guys, as you he's one of your favorites. Right. You study him, you eventually kind of pick up on some of the ways that they work, and I think that's the best way to get good at something. Well, right. You're and modeling. You're modeling, and that's the best way to do it. Phrasing. Sure. You're kind of in an apprenticeship. Right. Exactly. From afar, because you're watching how he works and how he does things. I'm a huge fan of Craig Wiseman. Oh yeah, same thing. Um, yeah. You know, and and his ability to write these fun, ridiculous. Up tempo songs that have like this, this yeah man, it's got like a <laughs> smile behind yeah. it. It's not serious. It's actually really funny. Um, but then he writes these songs like the good stuff and like live like you were dying right. and just uh, I believe by mm -hmm. Brooks and Dunn. Oh, yeah. I mean songs that um, I have sang for years, even in church. I mean songs oh, yeah. like that. So definitely one you could do in church. Yeah, there's definitely like, like a ministry well. ability. Yeah. I appreciate a writer who can. I think his wife is a minister. Is she? Yeah. I think it, yeah, I think that I think he has that in common with Marcus Holman, that both their wives are ministers. Wow. Yeah. Actually I know they I know she is because she did the prayer at one of his songwriter events. Wow. Yeah. So that's that's probably where that comes from. You know, sure. I off on him going to Sure. And growing up in Mississippi too. You well, know, yeah. You, you know, it's like, he's like Mac Mackinley, you like <laughs> listen to his his words and all this stuff and it's like his new record he has a song called with a straight face, which okay. was about people who had to grow up in a closet. That's what that's about, and how wow. they had, it's like two, a guy and a girl. And it's basically their story of like meeting each other and going back to prom and all that together. But it's, it's like really, you should look it up, because it's a really, talk about a song that's effective and sure. says something, even though it's not something he, you know, personally experienced. He just wrote it, and it's like, it's got this like epic orchestral feel to it. I think there's value in that. I, I truly believe in the value of songs that are not your personal experience per se. I think that I don't do music for me. I don't. I don't do this music for my own personal therapy. I, I don't. I feel like that's a selfish approach. Um, I really do music because I know the fans out there. They don't want to hear Aaron Parker's story per se. They want to hear their story. Well, and even it's if really it's your about, story. It's their story too. As long as it kind of runs together, right? right? And yeah. and you and know, when I'm in a crowd, I'm like, you know, if I'm at a Chesney show or whatever I'm at McGraw show, I'm like, man, I don't care about your memory. Sing me my memory. Sing me what I remember, because right. that's what I'm here for. The that's fan, like my own, right there. Sing me my, my, my own personal therapy, right? That's the title. Sing me my memory. I've already written it, my buddy. <laughs> there you go. See? You knew it, yeah. Oh, as he goes to Aaron Goodman. <laughs> but, yeah, um, like I wrote one about a song that was inspired by my grandmother and my co-writer. He's an art, Australian artist. Oh, cool. It, it, his point of view toward the topic was his wife. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, hopefully, she didn't, she didn't save the world, but she sure saved mine. That's cool. Yeah. So, that's kind of... So, yeah, and... Again, like if that song ever gets somewhere, sure, it's obviously going to change how it reaches people. 
you know, how, how they you know, go through it. Sure, he could who be. It is, who it is, who, whoever saved their world or whatever. You know, sure, and he could be a single guy. Right. You know, but it's talking about, it's like every guy in the crowd who's standing there with his lady. It could relate. Right, or somebody who gets off of drugs. Sure. And they're just a counselor or something. They, somebody who pulled them from being ran over by a train or something right. stupid or somebody saved them from committing suicide. You know, there's all kinds of things where that stuff kind of coalesces together and changes and becomes something completely different than it was intended. And that fits into what you said earlier. You really just, you, you, you just have to put the music out there. Mm -hmm. You just have to do it and put it out there and let the, let the people make their own decision about it. Yeah. And we'll see where it goes. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Dude, thank you for having me. Hey, we got to do this more often. Yes, it's fun. <laughs>